Hey listeners, Jonathan here. I'm dropping in on the back catalog of episodes to let you know about a very special workshop that I'm putting together in April for fans of Mindful Money. In this workshop, I'm going to be covering the path to financial independence, or what we used to call retirement. I want to show you how to create an income stream that rises to meet your rising cost of living and lasts the rest of your life. I want to show you how to build a simple, resilient portfolio that requires the least worry and effort. This is how I manage my own money. And I want to show you how to manage and adjust income through a life of rising costs and volatile market. And as per usual, we're going to bring uh, the focus back around to those things we know add to happiness and support well-being when you do finally reach financial independence. You can register at the link below, courses.mindful.money forward slash mindful dash retirement dash review dash workshop. Thanks. I hope to see you in class. When I was 20 years old, I said, I'm going to be a life coach one day. And people are like, what the hell is that? Like, I've never heard of what that is. Like, what is that? You know, it's helping with your life. Figure stuff out. <laughs> so I had this desire that was, I had no idea why, but it was the breadcrumb, right? It was the thing that I just knew. And so started looking at coaching options. And of course, the coaching industry was really building at this point. And we saw a huge boom, I think, around the pandemic when so many people started bringing their talents and skills to the virtual market. But I basically just started pursuing what I wanted to study. And then I started sharing about my experiences. Do you think money takes up more life space than it should? On this show, we discuss with and share stories from artists, authors, entrepreneurs, and advisors about how they mindfully minimize the time and energy spent thinking about money. Join your host, Jonathan Dio, and learn how to put money in its place and get more out of life. Hello, welcome back. On this episode of the Mindful Money Podcast, I'm chatting with Melissa Giller. Melissa is a certified life coach, an MBA-educated business consultant, a podcast host, and a mentor to millennial women. She's a, and I love this, she's a self-proclaimed spiritual junkie bringing deep introspection, compassion, and non-judgment to client work right alongside things like strategic results-oriented action. Uh, Melissa, welcome to the Mindful Money Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm excited to have you. So uh, where do you call home and where are you connecting from right now? So I live in called Headingley, Manitoba, a small little town right outside of Winnipeg, which is the heart of Canada. So we are right in the central prairies. Before we hit record, I was letting you know that I saw snow here this week and pretty soon I'll be blanketed under many, many, many inches and minus 50 temperatures. We did reach as cold as Mars one year. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> you know? You can move. That's always a possibility. Yes. Well, we have a family business here that's a local manufacturer. So we'd have to earth our full plant and move, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. We've definitely talked about it. So literally as cold as Mars? I mean, yes. I've never heard of that. <laughs> Minus 50 Celsius with the, with the wind chill. I don't know the conversion rate to Fahrenheit. I'm pretty sure like once you get kind of minus temperatures, they're the same somehow. Wow. And Fahrenheit and Celsius. But it's, cool. it's like, yeah, Brutal cold as insert your choice of language. So I had a buddy who went to school in northern Minnesota, which isn't as far north as you, where you are. It's very close, though. Yeah. Right. But he parked his car one night. Uh, this is 25, 30 years ago. He parked his car one night and he was backing out the next morning and the rubber on the tires 
the rubber froze to the ground. We backed out, it ripped the tires in half. And I was oh, like, that's insane cold. That's crazy cold. That's crazy cold. Yeah. Yeah. That's not out of the realm of normal. We have actual snow tires here. <laughs> right. Correct. Did you grow up there? I did. Born and raised. Yeah. I've been lucky to have traveled extensively, but I always keep coming back. And so to your point, will I ever actually move? I don't know. There's just something that keeps me here. Yeah. <laughs> well, family for sure. Yeah, for sure. What did you learn about money entrepreneurship growing up there in that very cold? Cold. Well, you know, investing in quality materials is very important. Like you need quality footwear and clothing and all the way to obviously as a homeowner, how you, you know, set up here. We have, we're lucky with geothermal heat. So shouldn't our heat ever crap out for whatever reason, we get heat out of the urn, but that's not entirely common. So, but what did I learn about money? You know, I grew up with a father who was a baker for his entire life and eventually became the chief operations officer of a major credit union. So I grew up with money and also involved in risk management. So a lot of kind of fear-based money mentality but also, you know, I was financially literate. I always knew my way around how to balance a book. I even remember, you know, opening my first bank account when I was, I think, five and getting back at that time we had the book that you got and the teller stamped it, right? And so I would play banker and I had this kind of interest in finance. Although I guess by the time I got to high school, I completely flipped that and had that story. I'm bad at math, right? And so I never really pursued math and finance as an interest. And it wasn't until long after when I was in the MBA program and struggling my way through Corp 5 because I didn't take, you know, that sort of stuff in my undergrad. I was a psych major, religion prayer. <laughs> so it's like it came full circle for me. But I also... I knew more than I thought I did. And I, I surprised myself in my MBA when I was able to actually get through those accounting classes without actually rather unscathed, I guess is the word. And now as a business owner, I know bookkeeping and I don't do my own accounting, but I do do my own bookkeeping. I know it's something that you can outsource, obviously, but it's one thing I've just chosen to maintain because I can do it quickly, easily hmm. understand it. And I've always kind of prided myself as a small business owner. And a woman, I have to say, like being able to actually understand the financial working behind the scenes of my business and what that kind of has meant for me as a business owner. Can you point to like one of the experiences you had as a kid playing banker? And then what's, what sort of lesson did that teach you? And how did you carry that lesson forward? I, I realize you just said you kind of forgot it all for a time, but there must be nuggets that are that hold on. Well, I just always remember like the balancing side and the credits and the debits and making sure that, you know, when one can't outweigh or there's one that should outweigh the other, really, I guess is, is the point. But just really understanding how that works. And then, I mean, you can translate that many years forward as in I'm not one of those people who spends more than they make. I'm quite aware of how much I have coming in. And with that, I use every dollar, like every dollar has a job and I stretch that out, but I'm not, I've never been one to, again, like spend blindly or not be aware that you need the receivables <laughs> coming in. So tell us a little bit about the professional journey. So I know I read your bio, right? Not the bio that we did to introduce the show, but you're a complete 
sort of history. I know you spent some time in corporate. So what did you do before? What did you do when you were corporate? And then how did that sort of lead you to starting your own enterprise, private coaching, consulting? Yeah. So my career was in HR prior to, well, while I entered the MBA program, I did my program over three and a half years because I was working full time in that HR job and kind of getting promoted along the way because I was in this master's level education. So I moved into a management role, but was really actually feeling that communications was my strength and always had been in a bit of communications and marketing and just being able to relate with people, which is obviously an HR skill. But I basically became a, they created a role for me in my organization at that time, which was the HR communications consultant. And I feel like that role was really what primed me into the rest of my career because it's where I began really building my consultant skills and having to liaise with every single department of the organization. This was a post-secondary institution that I worked for, by the way. So one of the largest one in Manitoba. So it was a great large portfolio that I had and really getting to understand the various stakeholders and their needs and how to communicate you know, what their message was out to the larger whole of the, of the university. And so after that, I decided that consulting was really in my blood and something that I love to do. And I was graduating with my MBA at the time. So I made the shift from a, you know, publicly owned and operated organization into private sector, into corporate world. I left that and went into a big four firm and began management consulting. You know the name, I'm not going to mention them. So that's so I worked there for a few years and made my way up through promotion, did all the things. I was really focused on leadership development in particular. And, you know, I was working again with another post-secondary institution at that time, helping restructure their leadership team and the subsequent change management project that rolled out around there. And it was really lighting a fire, but I got pregnant and I was leaving that job. And so I had my baby. My son was born in November 2016. And I'm lucky here in Canada, we have a year for back leave, right? And I took that mm-hmm. year. And even since that time, I wasn't in that group, but now we have an up to 18 month option for maternity leave in Canada, which is fantastic, as well as, you know, a lot of paternal leave option. So I took the leave and I don't know how to describe this event. I mean, it was life-changing. Obviously, I became a parent, but I walked away unknowingly from living and being as one version of Melissa that I will never see again, right? And so with that, I mean, I, I decided after that year ended, I'm not going back to corporate. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I don't want to travel. I don't want to work 60 hour a week. My husband is an entrepreneur and his business was really taking off at the time. So we just decided my focus would be on the home front. And I got, you know, I was doing a bit of teaching virtual at that time, but I got pregnant again. And with that, I got very sick. So I was very sick for like, you know, the whole time, almost 10 months. And I had her. And my life just got really kind of, it was the dark night of my soul. It was really entrenched in new motherhood and in loss of identity and just feeling completely out of balance and out of alignment with who I thought I was up until that point, you know, and then now I'm into kind of toddler years with one child and a a newborn baby. And of course, in the toddler years, I'm starting to see like, oh, wow, all my stuff's coming up. (laughs) 
like, I didn't know I had this inside me. All these things were becoming activated and triggered. And it was really this long, messy, winding way into a deep healing journey, right? And so I experienced a lot of postpartum anxiety, depression. I broke my foot when I was five months postpartum. So that was a big struggle. And I just, as I said, like I could flip through my journals. I kept all my journals over the last few years and they see where the underlying like spiritual crisis and just feelings so lost until one day I had this massive panic attack that I'd never experienced anything like this before. And all of the breath left my body completely was just taken away. And it was the universe, I'm sure, shaking me by my shoulders and saying, wake up. This is a waste of your life and your purpose. And your, you've fallen so far off this path and how to get back to it. And that itself is a whole other story that I won't go too deep into because it's a could be a whole other episode. But I found myself back on the path, you know, enlisted various forms of support, therapy, and shamanic healing and rape healing. I saw like a birth trauma specialist. Like I went through the whole gamut and lots of writing, lots of clearing, lots and lots and lots. And so I landed on the fact of I need to help other women. I know I don't feel alone in this. And in fact, the paramedic that came to my aid on this day of the panic attack told me like, your room looks like my bedroom at home. My wife had a baby six months ago kind of thing. I see this all the time, is what he said, right? And that, that line, I see this all the time. And I thought about the other women I know who are silently struggling. I see this all the time. I was like, why is this normal? Why is this just accepted? Why are we so undervalued as women and caretakers and the, you know, providers of the next generation? Like, why are we suffering so much? And so that became my mission. That became my mission to became certified in coaching. I started a mom-focused practice where I was really interested in helping women get through this challenging time of you know, self-identity loss and just feeling overwhelmed and not knowing it was the mental load that you don't even know you take on, going to need to take on. It's just, it's so huge. So wind about way, I now do business coaching. Oh, right. No, no. So, so when that day, like it sounds like a, a singular event. So that event, put, put that in the timeline. When did that happen? That and was then, September you know, of 2019. 2019. So at the same time, that's just before pandemic. So how did you work? Yeah. So how did you take that sense that I'm going to, I have to do something about this. This is too common. You know, this is a big problem. How'd you take that sense and say, okay, I'm going to parlay that into learn how to be a coach. I'm going to take the classes. I'm going to do all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you make these kind of statements to yourself and poof, opportunities fall into your lap. So I made this choice. I'm like, I'm going to go. I started researching programs and become certified in coaching. I also. I'll go back. When I was 20 years old, I said, I'm going to be a life coach one day. And people were like, what the hell is that? Like, I've never heard of that. What is that? You know, it's how to live your life. Figure stuff out. <laughs> so I had this desire that was, I had no idea why, but it was the breadcrumb, right? It was the thing that I just knew. And so started looking at coaching options. And of course, the coaching industry was really building at this point. And we saw a huge boom, I think, around the pandemic when so many people started bringing their talents and skills to the virtual market. 
But I basically just started pursuing what I wanted to study. And then I started sharing about my experiences on Instagram. I just started blogging, basically. And because of that, a girl I know who was moving back to Winnipeg from Toronto reached out and said, hey, I'm starting this business for moms to give them kind of like a mom self-care event. Do you want to partner with me? So that was the the real piece that began that journey. We launched our business in December of 2019. We had our first event in January. It was a huge success. And then, do you know what happened to the events industry? <laughs> yeah, it was a, a bit of an unfortunate timing sort of thing. But just as we were starting to take off, the pandemic started. And we did the whole pivot to virtual and you know, started uh, doing online summits and we had a very few, you know, small person events, but it was eventually we decided like we can't keep up with this. We each had two children. My partner had a full-time job. I was trying to start my coaching business and felt just like I needed to go all in on myself. And so we decided to dissolve that because we were in the midst too of by then it was, you know, the end of 2020 going into 2021. And so we just decided to let it go. And I was, you know, all in on my virtual coaching business. And so, yeah. So you talk about, and I read this about you, about being an old soul, you know, being sensitive, thinking deeply, you know, feeling in a big way. I'm assuming that's kind of always been the case, but how was that accepted at the big four firm and before? And then sort of the follow-up to that is how has going independent allowed you to be more of yourself? Yeah, well, I'll say, I mean, I felt like such an odd bird in the MBA program, this traditional, lots of, not to be stereotypical, but like surrounded by male engineers or kind of the standard student. I think there was in the three and a half years of my program, Three courses that I took that were actually in alignment with like my career path. The rest were, you know, supply chain, marketing, finance. There was really not a lot of leadership development. There was a little bit and there was a little bit of work theory and behavior, right? But all the soft skill that were, that I felt were really important that I shone in, I did not see reflected in the educational content. So actually what I did was I requested to create my own course. So I approached a professor who taught in organizational behavior and approached him about doing a basically a, a half-term course on positive psychology in the workplace and in transformational leadership. So I wrote my own thesis on it. I did my own kind of, and I, I made something that didn't exist out of what I felt was important. So as an entrepreneur then, and to your point, sorry about being in a big firm and being in these other corporate roles, I mean, I had so much self-doubt. I didn't speak up. I had a lot of fear about how I would be perceived or because of the lived experience of speaking up and people kind of thinking it wasn't important or something to focus on and being dismissed. And, you know, I always just kind of felt like, I wasn't heard, right? And so for me, being able to create a business literally around hearing my own message, getting my own message out in the world, it's felt very free. And it's felt, you know, to be honest, obviously it's come at a lot of times with self-doubt and imposter syndrome. Like, 
who am I to even think that I have sort of an expertise here or to, to think like I've my observations alone and musings are enough to inform a body of work, right? But then when I start to realize like, well, why not me? What makes me different than anybody else? I've studied these things. I'm passionate about these things. Like, is that not where knowledge comes from? And, you know, it's more like leaning into the gifts and stopping the fear, loving yourself, love over fear, right? I definitely want to get to fear in just a minute. But just before then, what you've learned some lessons, you had the MBA, you're going forward, starting your own thing. What kind of preparations did you have to go through to say, yeah, I am worthy for that first client? And how did you find that first client? Well, I was lucky that I had to ask three people to be practice clients during my you know, coaching practicum. So I had some experience in coaching one total stranger because they got referred to me by somebody else and two friends. So I had both experiences where I could kind of see even how my own, how do you want to call it, proclivities, perceptions, experiences of almost judgment, like knowing a person as a friend and then being their coach, right? Versus coaching a stranger and how I would come at it from a place of non-judgment. And so that really helped enforce that non-judgment side to really shine, I feel like, during that time because I realized that I can't, maybe I can't coach people that I'm friends with. And not that I was, I'm not judgmental, but it's just, it's a bias, right? And so I kind of went at it with the fact of like, I can't rely on my personal network. I need to start with people that I don't have any kind of, you know, knowledge of or they know me or whatever like that. And so because of the mom event business that I've been involved in, I had a whole target client audience to really pull from. And with a couple kind of free offerings at first, I just got some people into my world and began building from there, offering free sessions, doing giveaways. You know, I would give away a discovery session. Someone would do it and then they like it and want to continue. So that's how I just slowly started building. And are you still, I mean, I'm sure systems and processes change over time, but are you still doing that sort of free, you know, let's have a session, let's talk it through and and then see. Yeah. Oh, always for sure. Yeah. I would. And you know, it's a two-way street. A coaching relationship is very sacred in my mind. Right. And I want to make sure that we're both primed and ready for that because there's definitely people I've said no thank you to. Right. And there's people just who I don't feel would be a good fit. So I do always offer that. And, you know, for me, I've had calls and decided, yeah, I don't want to work with that person. It's putting, you know, obviously that choice in someone's hands because they would never want to just, you know, sign on and you get what you get and you don't get upset. (laughs) That's what we tell our kids, though, for sure. Yes, exactly. That's What is the... When you talk about the impact you have on somebody's life, how do you talk about that impact? And then how has it changed, you know, since you started till today? I really think the impact I'm leaving people with is that ability to trust themselves more fully. Mm -hmm. And in that self-trust is inner confidence and self-esteem. And when both of those things start to rise, you're unstoppable. You can get through anything. It doesn't matter if it's parenting, if it's work, if it's your marriage you know, your negative thoughts, whatever it is, when you have that heightened self-confidence and self-esteem, because inherently you trust, you're capable, 
you know what you want, even if you're maybe don't fully know what you want and you know you can figure it out. Just having that faith in yourself as a starting point, I think is the greatest gift you could give anybody. And it's certainly one I want to give my kids. <laughs> so let's, I mean, we talked, we just dipped a toe in this moments ago, but let's talk about fear. Now, I think that that's something that gets in all of our way all the time. So why do we feel the fear? And then where do you see it come up for folks? Why do we feel the fear? Because we're biologically, universally created <laughs> to feel the fear. I think that our whole life is a practice of choice between love and fear mm. from the start to the end. Not to simplify everything so much, but I really do think you can pretty much simplify most things to a choice over love and fear. And so you can choose that. And as I said in the example of myself, I could choose to give into the fears of self-doubt or the imposter syndrome, or I can choose to love the passions that I have, the education that I pursued, the strengths that I feel like I have, and trust on that. And when you're trusting on that, you're making things happen and you're changing your reality. It's the same as your perspective on somebody else. You know, take a marriage. So I've been married now for five and a half years, not very long, right? And I've learned a lot in those five and a half years. And what I see is, Every moment with a spouse is a choice of love or fear. I could fear that you're going to leave me and therefore act this way, or I could fear what I'm going to say will hurt you. But also if I don't say it, I'm hurting myself. So I'm going to choose love. Like every single interaction, you can boil it down. Wow. I'm going to replay that part over and over as I touch out with my wife. So have you, is it just fear or have you categorized like different kinds of fears is there a genus species of fear and what kind of fears do you run into yeah you know what a lot of the fears that i see are generally about ourselves other people or the world around us i feel like mm. you can kind of categorize them if you're going to into that so we carry again all the fear that i touched on about ourselves we have fear about others or how we might be treated i mean i gave the marriage example but it it's in every interaction, right? We fear looking silly to somebody else or what they might be thinking of us when we meet somebody new, how we're coming across. And fears of the world around us are more societal and systemic. You know, as a female entrepreneur, I have fears around how the economic, you know, environment will subvert me as a woman in business. I have fear around that because I've seen it's limited, right? So, I have fear around personal safety because of issues in our world, right? I have fear for my children's safety. I find choosing love in the those big picture things, that's the hardest one. It's easier to love ourselves even. So starting there is often the best practice because that's a lot easier when you can choose to love yourself. And then it's like that saying, you know, little people, little problems. Do you know that? And so it's like, yeah. just start small because as you get bigger, that fear gets bigger. And fearing for personal safety, fearing your children's personal safety, that's one of the scariest things you could ever imagine. So that imposter syndrome doesn't look so big now, does it? Right. Like, I'll just start the damn course. I'll just try, right? Because, yeah. So there, I do a curated list of five readings every Monday as part of our Mindful Money Weekly. And one of the things I just curated and put out there was somebody was talking about how the environment kids are growing up in today with, you know, constantly negative news around 
you know, inequality, global warming, you know, just how expensive it is to go to college, you know, college debt, you know, especially in the U.S. Do you think that we sort of build up the fear for kids and then we have to come up with a way to reduce it at some point and say, hey, don't you can handle this? Because I think that that's what gets lost in that. Well, and it's like, if I think about my generation and just even the people that I know, we've been bred as, you know, high performers, high anxiety folk, because we grew up in this era too of like, got to get a good education. You got to go to school. You got to go to school twice, (laughs) get this job right away, you know, perform. Oh, also be an athlete. Oh, and also if you're a parent, you know, be that best parent you could ever possibly be. Don't ever send your kid to school with chips. There's so much pressure, right? And, you know, I do see that in, in obviously my children's generation now too, who are just entering school and everything. Like, we are safe. Stay safe wherever you go. I'm not, that does, it's un, unsettling when people say that to me, to be honest, because that makes me feel like anxious. Yeah, right. Like, I'm on the lookout. I was just walking down the street out for, you know, walking my dog, but stay safe. So, yeah, I think it's priming our nervous systems, quite frankly, for overload. And yeah. it's not getting better because I do see, you know, so much of this coming down from the big, you know, mainstream news that people follow and trickling down into the educational system and, you know, pervasive. So how do we curb that? I think, like I said, to me and just my approach is, it always starts within and it always starts really small. And so, you know, I even one line that we have in our house is listen to your body. Mm-hmm. And just if I can ingrain that in my kids, that trickles out into so many different aspects that one day they, you know, think and remember what's your body say? Listen to my body. Right. So I think as parents, there's little practices of teaching that self trust and self love that will help build more. It's self-compassionate first people that extends to others. I also think that choosing to look for good news stories. I mean, we practice gratitude as a family every night at dinner. What was a great thing from your day to day? What made you smile? What are you excited about? You know, focusing on the good intentionally and you will see more good. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that there's this phrase that I hear that if you're not terrified, you're not paying attention. And I think we have to sort of counter that phrase with, there's also good things in the world. Uh, you know, pay attention to the good things. There's plenty of good things. You just, like you said, you got to look out for them. You know, one of my core desire feelings, and I do this work with my clients, is I have them identify, like, how is it you want to feel in your life or in your work, whatever kind of we're specifically focused on? And for me, it's call it feeling alive. And when I kind of dug what that meant, it, it's presence. Like, I love to sit and watch the sunset. I love to just go for a walk. No music, just listening to the crunch, you know, of the leaves. I can sit. I mean, I am a meditator, so I have that ability to sit and meditate, which I love. And so that makes me feel alive. Like that is what not fear, not this rush of adrenaline, not this which you know, has its time and place. I've skydived before, you know, but it's the, I think, the smallest sort of reminders of being alive and what that means and enjoying the most simple of things. That's the point. There's, I think we must listen to a similar meditation teacher on Insight Timer because somebody actually talks about 
how humans aren't so much looking for the meaning of life as they're looking for the experience of being alive. So what is that little thing, the sunset, the, you know, what, and how does that feel? How does watching the sunset feel in my body? How does this comment that I've heard from somebody else, how does that feel in my body? And that's that experience of being alive. And I think that's what you just said is beautiful. Love it. Thank you. I kind of hesitate to go here because I'm very literal and concrete in my own processes, but you mentioned manifestation in one of our prior emails. I'm always intrigued, but ultimately sort of disappointed by manifestation techniques. So, you know, anything that suggests that believing, you know, purely believing without a nod to doing the work feels like an empty promise to me. So I apologize for the skeptical backdrop, but what is it you talk about when you talk about manifestation? Yeah. And this is exactly, I think, the misconception about manifestation is that it's not just sitting and wishing or meditating and, you know, looking in your third eye and seeing yourself accepting the $100,000 check, which was that easy. That sums up my entire experience of manifestation. Yeah. But, you know, that little vision of yourself accepting the $100,000 check, it's a breadcrumb. And I used that word before, right? It's a spark. It's a desire. And so you get the desire as a hit or it's always been there or it's something that unfolds over time. But eventually you clue in that you have this desire. I want a new house. I want more money. I want to become a different kind of parent. You know, I desire something. And so what I believe is that when you have that spark, you both act on it and you grow it inside of you. And so you act on it by making it an actual structurable goal, a smart goal, right? Specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, timely. (laughs) So, you know, I'm manifesting, I'm manifesting to make a million dollars in five years, right? This isn't a real example, but just it could be. So, you know what? I don't even want to use that as a real example because it's not really something I'm truly manifesting. So I won't really be able to like, to that and relevance, but let's just take something like, you know, I want to renovate my ensuite. <laughs> I want to change something about my house. Like this worked for us because we literally did manifest our dream house. So I could tell you that story too. But you have to actually get it on paper. You have to actually see what it looks like because from then you can reverse engineer it, right? So If I want to do this, then that means I'm going to have to save this amount of money. I'm going to have to find a design that speaks to me. I'm going to have to maybe hire a designer. Well, then I'm going to need that amount of money because I don't have capacity to take that on right now. You reverse engineer, would it it be nice if, right? Like if I had all these things kind of line up for me. So now you've got the pathway forward, right? And from then, that's when... Okay, I see the steps to take there, but that's when our fear will hold us back. Like anyone can have a strategy, just like anyone can sit and meditate. It's blending the two together, right? And so when you're actually starting to take action, that's when you need to start working on your beliefs and become the person who has what you desire, right? And that's changing thoughts, changing your mindset, changing, like, if I wanted to to have this, I would need to believe this on a regular basis. So that's more of the strategy piece to it, you know, the aligned action and also personal development work to shift some of the things that are holding you back from achieving that. 
And then you bring in the woo. You sit and you visualize. And this is really powerful because it is actually that feeling of immersion. And the key word is feeling. What is the feeling you hope to gain from this desire? Because the universe works in energetics. It picks up on frequency, on vibration. And when you can fully immerse yourself in the vibration of what you want, you become a magnet for it and you attract it in. I love the sort of you manifest it. You have the inkling. You've got the spark. You reverse engineer. You do the personal development. And you sort of, that's the whole process of manifestation. It's not just the spark. It's the reverse engineering, planning, it's the personal development, and then the action. That's all four, right? And the feeling. Like I do want to, it's not, and it's not something you maybe need to do every day, but I find it especially helpful as kind of this, like a cornerstone to what you're doing, a practice to keep going back to, especially when you do feel yourself maybe farther away from that goal than you wish, or it's feeling difficult, or you're working through this block and you're in the messy middle, right? Sitting in that feeling and truly, you know, vibrating with it, like resonating with what that outcome would feel like is a very powerful practice because it's that like body reminder. You know, when I say again, like, what does your body want? What does your body say? What does your body tell you? When you really do stop and look inwards and you think about what you want, it feels differently. You can try this as a test. Think about something you're desiring and think about something you know you don't want. Just get to know the familiarity of those different sensations and feelings. Like I would feel my stomach close. I feel like a closed off. It's a very distinct feeling. Do you ever run into people that just have no, they cannot connect with what their body is feeling? I think I've run into a few people like that, but it's, it takes time. So how do you develop that ability to know what your body is feeling? Yeah. I mean, I think that sometimes we have to be careful. I think sometimes with people with traumatic experiences, feeling into your body doesn't feel safe. Right. And so if I knew, for instance, if I was working with someone like that, I wouldn't maybe bring that up as, as a practice. But I think it really, that is, it is just practice. It's like, start with the most simple. Think of food, food I love and food I hate. You know, what would it feel like to eat a warm, cheesy slice of pepperoni pizza right now versus sardine? Visualize that and feel it in your stomach. I happen to like sardines, that's not going to work for me. So just real quick, I want to make it, one of the things I try to do here on the podcast is try to really simplify the success process. So I just want to, uh, an exercise. If a new client came to you and you knew that there was one thing that you said to them, hey, if you follow this thing religiously, it'll lead to more personal and financial success. What is the one thing? And then a second question is, we all swim in this soup of ideas and there's so many ideas and there's so much stuff to pay attention to that we're all on overwhelm. So what's one thing that one should do? And then, then what's one thing that we hear about that is not helpful at all that we should, we're better off ignoring or just letting go of? Okay. You're going to need to break these questions down because my memory sucks. <laughs> okay. For, for first one, what's one thing what? someone just starting off with you, what's the one thing you say, focus on this? That's a great question. And I think for me, it would be, how do you want to feel? How do you want to feel? And make that a daily question. Hmm. You can have it an hourly question, to be honest, because if you know how you want to feel, you can do one small thing that helps elicit that response. 
So sometimes, you know, I make this as a part of it's my morning routine, you know, I'm planning out my day. And while my day is relatively already planned for the most part, I still like to have white space here and there. So how do I want to feel? If I want to feel, you know, connected in my relationships, I might, you know, call my mom. Something writing in my book. If I want to, you know, I'm working towards, I want to feel abundant financially, I might make an offer today, right? If I want to feel calm and relaxed, schedule in a bath tonight, right? Something, how do I want to feel today? And just trust, yeah, trust and follow through. And then, what is one thing that we all hear? that we can just let go of. It's just, it's not helpful news, not helpful information, not going to help us get better. But everyone else is saying, do this, do this, do this. Like, what do Whenever we you hear the should word in your mind, just instant cue. You hear yourself thinking should, I really should, I ought to. Also, I need to, should, ask where it comes from. I've never heard that one. That's a really good idea. Thank you. Bringing it a little bit back to personal, what was the last thing you changed your mind about? The last thing I changed my mind about has been my Instagram strategy. (laughs) So I have been on Instagram since it came out, essentially, since I got an iPhone, which I think was in 2012 for me, something like that. I've been on Instagram. I've used it in my business. And just within more or less the last month, I've slowly been like not as into it and it I'm like, I'm not incorporating it into my marketing strategy really at all. Cool. I wonder how many people are leaving social media platforms because we don't track them or don't like them anymore, whatever reason is, right? Yeah. And for me, it's like, it's a great landing page. I'll post when I want to because I still feel like that kind of creative desire sometimes can be there, desire for connection, but it's not a part of my like strategic action anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that, you know, you hesitate to share sometimes, but the people don't know about you, but you really wish that people knew about you or a question that you really wish people asked. I think what I wish people would know is just like, you don't need a lot to feel good. And I've really come to believe that about myself. And like I can make myself feel good wherever I am in whatever season I am. And I've been in many seasons where I did not feel good, but I know how to get out of that including I just tore my ACL this summer. But I had the opportunity to practice. I actually think that was divine orchestration because I've been, you know, coaching since like my dark time, coaching, 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 building, building, building. And then I was faced with it again. And I was able to get through it with so much more ease and grace and self-compassion than I feel like I would have in the past. So... Yeah. So your practice has been bookended by a broken foot and now a torn ACL. So hopefully yeah. there's nothing else that's like pending. I really so, hope so, because yeah. I don't have a lot left. Uh, uh, how do people connect with you? Where do they find you? People are interested in working with you. How do they find you? Yeah, I would say go find me on Instagram, but I'm not gonna. So you can find me <laughs> online at melissagiller.com. From there, you can access my podcast. You can access my social media. You'll be on my newsletter. However else you'd like to connect with me, there's a free call option as well. Sounds good. Melissa, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a sincere pleasure and we'll put all that stuff in the show notes. Great. Thanks so much for having me. I really love this conversation. Great. Thanks for listening. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at mindful.money. 
be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash mindful money. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes.